Hello and welcome to another episode of Bring Out the Podcasts. And Drew Schneider is here with us this week. I'm Luke Thompson. Drew, how you doing? Doing well, man. Just uh, hanging out in uh, man happiness. Doing my thing. Yeah. There you go. And Levi Stevenson from Wide Right Natty Light is joining us tonight. Levi, how are you? Oh, not too bad. It's actually, it's started to warm up here a little bit now, so weather's yeah. not too bad, finally. We had sunlight yesterday, which is pretty, pretty <laughs> wild. That's nice. Nice. Well, we're yeah we're recording this about thirty minutes before the start of the K State Baylor game, and also a big night in Iowa, I guess, with the whole uh, caucus thing going on. So probably got to be excited to get that over with finally, right? So most Iowans have a kind of a love hate relationship with that whole thing because obviously you know we're first in the country, a lot of us, so we get like some attention that we don't ordinarily get. But the problem is that you know between caucuses, so like the four years between caucuses, Iowa generally doesn't really. Nobody bothers us. We don't bother anybody else. We're going to do our own thing. But every four years, some guy from the Washington Post or LA Times or whatever has to come out here, and he tells this story that's that's written like he's narrating a National Geographic document <laughs> of, like an, of, like an und- of like some newly discovered area of the Amazon. Like, <laughs> I went to Iowa, and I, found, I saw Iowans living in the natural habitat. <laughs> <laughs> and they're always they're like, like just totally trash Iowa. Like, oh, there's nothing here. It's <laughs> and farmers that are broken, killing themselves. And we're like, um, hold up. <laughs> I mean, I have to admit that that was my opinion of Kansas before I actually came here. Uh, <laughs> but but you mean, realize it's not that way, right? Right. But I made K State fly. My wife uh, was hired by K State. I made them fly me out because, like, I'm not living in a wheat field in the middle of a, like a plain, like with no trees and like dust yeah. storms. And yeah. Apparently, that is not what Manhattan was like. So, what, uh, no, like, like when you're a little kid and you're like, you're like, damn, I'm gonna have to really learn how to deal with quicksand. I'm pretty sure that's <laughs> a really thing that I'm gonna have to deal with. And still to this day, never seen quicksand. Yeah. So, but I know how to get out of quicksand. I'll be prepared if it ever comes up. Because quicksand is easily the most, like, the issue that we are all the most over-prepared for. Everybody <laughs> knows how to get out of quicksand, but literally nobody ever has to do that. Like, like, imagine if we were, like, as prepared for, like, paying taxes and doing laundry. Like, like you just like you just came out, like, people come out of the womb knowing how to get out of quicksand. <laughs> like, I don't, I don't. <laughs> it's the weirdest uh, thing yeah yeah and, and you know and, and the funny thing too is like there, there was this whole article that came out as a guy from the washington mm-hmm. post that he says it was kind of a love letter to iowa or whatever but like he mm-hmm. i don't know he spent 90 percent of this article totally trashing iowa and the whole caucus system <laughs> and all that just totally trash iowa so that way he can come back in the last paragraph and be like you know what despite it being an absolute wasteland of, ha- of sadness and despair it's not that bad or whatever so he can be like oh it was a love letter because he had to tear us down so he can kind of halfway drop yeah. like a stuff. Well, speaking of sadness and despair, Iowa yeah. State and Kansas State basketball are playing Ooh. on Saturday. Which, one, uh, which one's despair? I don't know. <laughs> that's, that's, uh, both teams obviously really struggling, although, you know, that, that may be different after K-State beats Baylor and you're listening to this, you might think, I don't know. There you but, go. So, here at Kansas State, you know, we have found some solace in the fact that our freshmen are playing fairly well, showing some signs of potential. Two of them have crafted the starting lineup. We've got some good recruits coming in. So, what are the, the silver linings for Iowa State basketball this season? Uh, um, 
<laughs> well, I guess Tyrese Halliburton, who's played really well. He was just announced earlier today. He's a finalist for the Bob Cousy Award, which is well-deserved. <laughs> uh, so outside of Tyrese, Rasheer Bolton has been pretty good. He started out, he struggled a little bit starting off. He had a really yeah. bad cold streak to start the season from three, but he has really emerged as the second scoring option next to Tyrese. And he's, he's been a good scoring option too. He's up to 33% from three right now, which is, I think he was like through, through non-conference, he was at like 20% or lower. So he's picked it up quite a bit recently, Tyrese, but Tyrese is still shooting 41% on 117 attempts, which is quite a, which is like three times more than he shot all of last year. So he's still shooting a high percentage at volume. He's still looking at his, like his assist numbers. He's doing really well. 83% from the line. Rashir Bold's 82%. So both of those two have been very, very good. That's a nice tandem. Outside of that, I guess recently Trey Jackson has been playing better. You could tell early on he was not ready whatsoever to play you know, power of six basketball. He wasn't, he's not, he wasn't ready for that at all. I mean, he was still here and there. He was fine, but he, you could, he just was not there. He's getting caught up. He's slowly picking it up. He's shooting better from three. I think he's actually second on the team in three point percentage right now. I think he's vastly underperformed in that category where I think he, his ability is much higher than that. I think he's a 40% free throw shooter, 40% three point shooter when he's, you know, having a normal, you know, like next season, I would expect him to be near 40%, but there's a lot of, unfortunately that's about it as far as silver. Lining. <laughs> yeah. Well, I wonder, so Iowa state is, is kind of the opposite of Kansas state in that they have a, you know, above average to good offense and a, pretty bad defense whereas Kansas State has just the, the terrible offense is it at least you know a little more fun to watch a team that can score even if they uh, you got you got to remember though where Iowa State fans are coming from because we're we're used to having good offense mm-hmm. uh, this one is, is is generally like good generally pretty good statistically like they're I think they're like they're 38th in uh, in efficiency which isn't great I mean mm-hmm. that's, that's below mm-hmm. Iowa State standards but it's still not horrible but the it's not that it's really not fun to watch actually for us because we're used to being able to hit threes with some regular regularity and this team is real bad at the, at hitting threes. It's the weirdest thing because the offense is well, and we can talk about it a little bit too on how that's translating across the country as well. But the offense mm-hmm. is actually very very good at generating open three point percent like open three point attempts. There's like they they get. A wide open three point attempt, probably I don't know every other possession. It's crazy how many open three point attempts they get, but they just they just cannot knock them down. And I think now that I've been watching and looking at what's going on across the country, I think it is absolutely has something to do with the line moving back. This three point shooting yeah. is down across the board, right. um, and obviously I would say it's been hit more hard than like hard mm-hmm. more. You know, it, they've been hit harder than usual. Part of it is because of just talent on the roster, but there's there's a lot of guys that, you know, especially if you look at like their high school tape, they can hit them. They're just, they're trying to get up to speed in big 12 play. And like I said, Trey Jackson's starting to get there. Caleb girl is still struggling mightily, but that's another guy that could hit them in high school and should be, should still be a good three point shooter by the time his career is over. I don't know if you remember this or not, what Matt Thomas was like his freshman. Yeah. You can see that he should be a really good shooter because it's form really great. All this, like he just, he just needed to get up to speed needed to get into a rhythm. And then he became Matt Thomas later on. And I, the problem is that Iowa State's got a bunch of those guys. Caleb Girl's like that. Trey Jackson's like that. Zion Griffin is actually developing a, a nice little three-point shot. His his mechanics aren't quite as good as like Trey Jackson and Caleb Grill, where 
I don't know. His ceiling isn't, I, I don't think he's ever going to be 40% shooter, but he's, he'll get there. Terrence Lewis, you know, is another guy. He should be there. You know, you've got, you got four guys there that look like they should be hitting them, but they're just not right now. Cause they're still getting into rhythm. They're still getting used to the pace of the game. So it's, it's a lot of ton of a ton of ton of people that are underperforming based on just on, just on their talent level and what their expectations were. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I guess at least, you know, we're not like Drew has to watch Kansas State and also Clemson and Purdue basketball. So that's got to be it's got to be kind of tough, Drew. It's been a, it's been a rough, rough basketball season for me. I've, my eyeballs bled on several occasions. <laughs> Watching just rock fights. Purdue has the same problem that Iowa State has is that they get open threes with guys that in theory should hit them. Uh, <laughs> But don't. Pretty much one player, Sasha Stefanovic, who's probably shooting 40% at home and like 12% on the road. And it really makes no yeah. sense at all. Like, same stroke, same everything. Uh, he finally won the game against Northwestern on the road, but his first three three pointers in that game were air balls. So it was like, what the fuck? I don't get it. It could be the line. I don't, I don't know, man. What's, and then, of course, yeah. Kansas State shooting is. You're so, you're seeing that, that uh, you know teams that can't shoot three pointers very well get a lot of opportunities to take them, and that's sort of been Kansas State's mo this year. Is they're you know, not afraid to to take the three. It's just nobody's other than Mike McGurl hitting them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and well, in the right now, like the frustrating part is like right now when Iowa State gets open three point attempts, the only guy that you're like, oh, that's probably going in. Tyrese, he's the only one that you're like that you that you really feel good about taking and pretty much any three he takes and and actually we've seen a little bit this too this year where he's got kind of that deep range too that like like Naz Long used to where he would just chuck him up from like the Pioneer logo. Tyrese has that kind of range. He's been showing it this year, but like but just in catch and shoot opportunities, Tyrese is the only one that you feel that any of us feel like okay he you know we feel good that that's going to go in you know a decent chunk of the time. Trey Jackson yeah. like, got a really nice – He, you can tell that Trey Jackson is part of that generation that grew up watching Steph Curry. <laughs> I like him in his shooting form. is almost identical. He's just not quite as consistent with it, obviously, as Steph. I think he, he is just – the way he plays and his, just his skill set and the way his, like, his shooting form is, I think he's going to I think he's gonna get there where we're going to feel really good about you know t- him taking any, any three he wants. Just right now, he's, he's, he's good for airballing one or two of them and then canning a few others. Like, that's – it's kind of where it is. He's like, he's just kind of a shotgun. He's shooting. You might, might miss by ten feet. And you might miss. You might. You might hit it right. And, you know, might, yeah. you might switch it. So it's. Yeah. I don't know. It's it's hit or miss right there. When I would say makes threes, they're they're tough to beat, but that seems to mm-hmm. not happen that often. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so obviously everything runs through Tyrese, and we we won't talk about what happened the game that he missed if you don't want to, but what kind of improvements has he made from last season? You know, that's turned him into a guy who there, there seems to be some buzz about him, maybe even going pro after this year. Oh yeah. Well, we can get into that here in a second. Cause that's, <laughs> yeah. That, yeah, that's, that's kind of a wild story. Um, what he's yeah. improved on most this year for sure is his, is his ability to score outside of catch and shoot opportunities and end at the rim. He's developed mm-hmm. a little bit of a mid-range game. He's still not great with it. Like his pull-up mid-range game is it's still not it's still not like anything like lethal or anything like that. He's just improved. His defense has got his has been better. He's more of a ball hawk now. He'll he'll, he'll generate steals and actually he'll and if if he can get the opportunity, he's been getting a lot of kind of a lot of blocks on the backside too. He's kind of a chaotic defender. 
in that you know he's just he he's just kind of all over the place and he gets he gets himself into good situations. So that that's definitely a part. But then I, I would say just overall competency as a scorer has been mm-hmm. better. His decision making is still very good. I think right now yeah. he's kind of playing a little bit out of his element where his his game is like is tailor made to play next to an alpha scorer as opposed to being the dude. Like if Iowa State had like Taylor Horton Tucker or something like that from last year, or like if you had Mariel Shayok this year, Iowa State is probably a vastly different team. Um, yeah. That's a guy, I mean, that's a guy who can shoot, he can score, he can make his own shot when he needs to, plays great with people. That kind of like, like a Mariel Shayok would be absolutely perfect for this team. And the more shooters you can get around Tyrese, the better, because he find he's he's extraordinarily good at finding open at finding open shooters. But right now he's a little, I think he's a little bit out of his out of his element, just because I think he's being asked to do more in the scoring and in the shot creating areas that he's probably used to or comfortable with just yet. So that's the tricky part. You know, ideally, mm-hmm. you'd like Rashir Golden or someone like that to step and be let him be the alpha scorer and then let you know let the let the, the offense run through Tyrese, but don't ask him to be the the leading scorer. And that's what he's yeah. being asked to do right now. And he's, I mean, he's, you know. You know, by all accounts, he's doing what he's supposed to be doing. I mean, he's he's doing what's asked of him, but he can be even better when he gets to play next to an alpha personality, which kind of brings away another thing you mentioned before about him going pro. I haven't looked at the mock draft. I guess I can pull try to pull up a mock draft here quick. The last one I checked a couple of weeks ago had him as the fifth pick. Wow. Yeah. So that's created an odd situation for Iowa State because he was a guy that you know he was a you know, we picked we picked him up as kind of a diamond in the rough prospect. Obviously, he was you know he was a, he was like a mid three star, low three star kind of guy coming out of high school. And you know, obviously, Steve Prohm saw something in him, and you know that's kind of where you know obviously he's seeing what he saw now. So okay, well, so this recent this most recent CBS mock draft has him at six. He's been hanging around in that top ten range for pretty much the entire most of the entire season. I don't know if it's a total one hundred percent definitely gone. I mean, it, you know, it's yeah. sick. You know, the six. If you're going to be a top ten pick, it's pretty hard to turn that down. Now, it's worth noting that there is. So the tricky thing here is that he was he was picked up as to be the kind of a cornerstone you can build your program around. Diamond in the rough. Well, you know, how often does a low three star recruit show up and become a top five pick in two years? Like, yeah. like that never happens, and that's not something you can even plan. That's not something you can even remotely plan on as a coach, which makes it tricky for Steve Prome because now all of a sudden the guy he was trying to build his program around and recruit around, he's going to be, you know, there's a good, there's a pretty good chance he's gone after this season because I was got a really nice, a couple of really nice recruits coming in, especially one Xavier Foster. He's a seven foot stretch guy. You know, he's going to, he's going to be a really good shooter. I don't know if he'll be a one and done. I think he wants to be a one and done, but who knows? But he's, you know, he's, he's a local kid. He's from Oskaloosa, Iowa. Boy, he's kind of a borderline five-star guy. It's a really, really big recruiting win for him. And I, if he can play alongside Tyrese Halliburton, that could immediately push Iowa State near the top of the conference. Because he's a, he, I mean, Xavier would probably be the second best shooter on the team. He's a, he's a very, very good shooter, for, especially for his size. He's a good rim protector. Doesn't have a lot of a low post game right now, but yeah that's something that can be worked on, but you know, and you don't necessarily need that into in today's, you know, in the modern, modern game, but there's a lot of pieces that are going to be back for next year. You'll have George Condit back. You'll have Rashir Bolton back. Amazingly, Solomon Young will be back. You know, you've got Terrence Lewis will be back, Trey Jackson, Caleb Grill, Zion Griffin. Those guys will all be back. Plus you've got Xavier Foster. And then you've got a couple new guys, Dudley Blackwell and 
uh, transferred Javon Johnson. There's there's a lot of scorers coming back that would fit really great around Tyrese Halliburton. But if Tyrese isn't here, I am definitely afraid that the, that next year's team ends up a lot like this year's team. Tyrese comes back. We have different. We're going to reset those expectations. We'll probably set the expectation at the NCAA tournament, um, just because you have so many scores and shooters, especially coming in, uh, coming right. into this world. Right. Which is, you know, obviously, what I would say is sorely missing this year, and what Tyrese is really good at facilitating with, as we kind of saw last year with Mario Shayok and THT and Linda Wigginton and whoever else. When you can get shooters around Tyrese, good things happen. Yeah, yeah. It's kind of interesting that you've got between Halliburton and uh, the Edwards kid at Georgia, you've got probably two, I guess maybe two top ten picks who are on terrible teams who aren't going to come close to the NCAA tournament. Right. The way things are going now. Right. And, and that's the, the weird thing, too, is that, like, this team, and we've seen it, when they're playing well, when they're not making dumb mistakes, when they're playing defense well, they can compete with a lot of good teams, actually. I mean, they took Michigan to the wire. They beat St. Paul. You know, they've they've played and beaten some really good teams, you know, and they they took it to Alabama. And, uh, you know, so they've played, they played with some good teams or whatever. And when, when the team is making threes and when they're playing defense, like if for some reason in the Big 12 tournament, it's not like if they, if they got hot from three, I mean, they're – the raw talent, the athleticism is there that, you know, if I was they were hot from three, they could easily, I, I could definitely envision a tournament run for them. I don't see, yeah. I don't, I don't now for the record, I don't think that will happen, <laughs> but um, you know, it definitely could. Like I said, you know, the team is, is really athletic. It's just a lot of raw skill. And yeah. part, part of the problem here too, is that is the team is playing. The offensive scheme is built around a team that's really skilled, like a Fred Hoiberg type team. That's got lots of skill, lots of, lots of shooting, lots of great passers and stuff like that. It, it runs a scheme that would fit that personnel really, really well. Kind of like in for, in Prome's first year when he had George Niang and Monte Morris and Matt Thomas and Abdul Nader and Deontay Burton, you know, mm-hmm. and he had all of those guys, you know, this scheme would be magnificent for that group. Problem is this group is not that group. And yeah you have a team that's really athletic and and can run. They can, they can outrun anybody. Like they can, you know, they can play a full core game. They can, they can beat anybody doing that. But the problem is that they do not play to their strengths very well. And part of that comes back to Steve Prohman in adjusting his offensive scheme. And I think he's been doing a better job of that recently, but part of it goes to adjusting the scheme to fit your personnel. And part of it goes to players executing and they're, they're not doing that right now. And K-State's done some of that, too. You know, they've shown they compete with teams. Obviously, they beat West Virginia. And, and Drew, it seems like lately Bruce has decided to push the narrative that this team is better than its record. Are you buying that? No. No, I'm not particularly (laughs) buying that. (laughs) I think this team could be better. I think it could probably have a few more wins. But it's not much better than that. This is sort of the... What happens when your sort of team is built around two main players and those two players leave and you find out the rest of the guys are pretty good role <laughs> players and that's probably what they should do uh, is play a role and not you know mm-hmm. actually be relied on to uh, carry the load. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's like, it's, it seems like both these teams, like, it's kind of like Iowa State football this past fall where you could – clearly see that they were better than their record. Obviously it didn't pan out via turnovers, whatever, whatever you want to call it. You know, that's, but we're talking right. about basketball football, but you know, it, it was easy to see that Iowa State's football team was probably better than what the record actually came out to be. Whereas these ones, 
at least with Iowa State for sure. I haven't. I'll be honest. I haven't watched a ton of K State, but actually, I I haven't watched any K State. I'll be totally. That's, that's probably smart. That's probably other, smart. Other, yeah. than, other than the fight, that's the only thing I saw. <laughs> <laughs> I watched that a month of time. I actually, I actually put. I actually tweeted a, a clip. Uh, I put Titanic music over that video. <laughs> um, but you know, this like this Iowa State team is like. It can like when it when it's making threes and play defense, it kind of pokes its head up. Like, oh, maybe this is maybe this team actually is better than the the record is, but it's just they're just not playing like that. And I don't know, I don't know if I'm there yet. I think <laughs> I think I'm just saying like this team <laughs> is like the old Iowa State teams under Paul Rhodes, where they're really actually probably playing where they should be, but sometimes they just kind of pop up and be annoying sometimes. And yeah. that's I don't know. That's kind of I think where we're at right now. Well, <laughs> I think I wanted to ask you just from looking at the stats. The fact that, I mean, I know Tyrese Halliburton is a good rebounder and all that, but the fact that he's leading the team in rebounds with six, is that an indictment of, you know, guys like Michael Jacobson and Solomon Young? You know, why aren't they getting more uh, rebounds? Yeah, absolutely is an indictment because yeah. Michael Jacobson has regressed so goddamn hard this year. It's crazy. <laughs> he is, mm, I cuss at the TV a lot when he gets into the game. Um <laughs> I can't. I, last year, he was a good energy guy. He rebounded. He actually knocked down threes at an okay rate, like where, you, where you're comfortable with him taking him out there. And this year, he just, he plays with poor energy. He doesn't chase rebounds. He's not knocking down shots. He's taking bad shots in the lane. He's he's getting the ball on the perimeter and then driving like he can dribble. Like I, I go, oh, he drives me nuts. Prentice Nixon, another one. There's a reason he's losing minutes. Solomon Young has been really good lately. Beginning of the season, he kind of got bullied around a little bit, but I think he got benched a few games ago. And since then, he has played like a man's hair on fire. Um, I hope he, if he keeps it up, I feel pretty good about it. Like he's he's played with much better energy. He's playing like the Solomon Young we I kind of always thought he should be playing like because like his like he's built like a Greek god, and he was when he came out of high school. He just never played with the kind of energy and athleticism that you were kind of expecting. Like we were expecting kind of Kenneth Freed when he came out. And we kind of got like a Kenneth, like we got like a Kenneth Free that was really shy, and <laughs> kind of like the opposite of what you want. Um, but he's uh, he's been playing a lot more like we kind of thought he was going to. George Condit yeah, yeah. is another. He started the season really well. He's still he's still what top twenty in the country in block percentage. I don't know if his block streak is still going. I don't think his block. He he did have a streak of like eighteen or nineteen games with a block, and he was good at finishing around the rim, but. He, I don't know. He's he's kind of regressed. I don't know if I'd say regressed, but he's just been off lately. He's not playing well. He's had trouble catching passes down low, stuff like that. I don't know. He's still a project. I think when he once once he's like a junior and a senior, when he's had more time and he puts on a few more pounds, I think he's gonna be a really really good player. But he's not he's not there yet. But it absolutely is an indictment of the of the post players. They just I, they they're passive. They don't box people out. Michael Jacobson's a turd. I don't know. <laughs> All right. All right. Fair enough. Well, uh, we're going to take a quick commercial break to hear from our sponsors. And we're back. One, one thing that, that's interesting to me about this game is for both teams, it kind of starts a, a stretch where it seems like there are some opportunities. Um, like K-State has, I mean, five games against unranked teams, which is, you know, it doesn't happen a whole lot in the Big 12. You had at Iowa State, Oklahoma State at home, at TCU, at Tech, and Texas at home. I mean, I don't know about you, Drew. That seems like an opportunity to maybe gain some confidence and get pick up a few wins. 
Yeah, yeah. That looks like a two to three win stretch there. It's just mm-hmm. with the offense just as bad as it is, like <laughs> like K State's gonna be in a tight game almost every time out because they just can't pull away from a team, even if their defense is incredible, which on occasion it is. And you'll see them just play great defense and lock them down, and they just can't score enough to uh, pull away from teams. And so that's, you know, I can see K-State winning three of those games. I just, you know, anything more than that, I think there's going to be too many sort of coin flip games in there where it's one or two possessions one way or the other uh, instead of, you know, being able to come out and maybe put a little distance between some of the uh, lesser opponents. Right, right. And then for Iowa State, they get, you know, Kansas State, and then at OU, who they already beat, and then at home against Texas. You know, do you see that as kind of an opportunity for them? So it's funny. I think it's funny that you skipped over West Virginia. Oh, we're playing at West Virginia. Well, yeah, but I'm, I'm after that, yeah. <laughs> you know, Kansas State at home, I mean, I'd like to say, oh, it's at home. We should definitely – it's a lock. But uh, Hilton Wild's <laughs> team has not been the fortress it once was the last mm-hmm. couple of years. We already smacked Oklahoma. Their arena is basically a nothing burger. So, I mean, <laughs> you know, I feel okay about trying to get at something there at home versus Texas. Eh, I don't know. Texas is kind of like Baylor for us. Baylor just has had our, they just have our number all the time because mm-hmm. they're, they're always a terrible, terrible matchup for us. And so we always get smacked by Baylor. And T- Texas is kind of like that where they just, they're just annoying. Maybe we'll have more shots against Texas. I mean, we can, we can beat them. We should have beat them last Saturday. Screw it. I'll say we'll get a win there. So, in theory, you could roll out, you could rattle off three in a row. Then you're going to go to Kansas, get smacked. Yeah. Um, <laughs> home against Texas Tech. <laughs> I'm not a big believer in Texas Tech, to be honest with you. I don't know. We lost by we lost by a thousand or twenty. Yeah. We lost by twenty at their place. I, I don't know. <laughs> I'm not feeling great about that one. TCU at home. Yeah, maybe. Well, I don't know. And. Yeah. Ken Palm says we're going to lose at Oklahoma State. I'm not feeling that one. I think we're well, at least play. Iowa State's already got their Baylor games out of the way, right? You played yeah. them for us. So, so opportunity, like legit opportunities for wins. I think you got Kansas State at home, at Oklahoma, Texas at home. I think you can get those three. I mean, I guess in theory, if home versus Texas Tech, if everything went our direction, I guess, but I'm not going to put on that one. TCU at home, maybe. So that'd be four. I think you get Oklahoma State on the road. That's five. No chance with West Virginia at home. And hey, Kansas, Kansas State beat West Virginia at home. You never know. They've been actually not very good on the road, I think. That's yeah. for whatever reason. So. Um, our, we're, we're phenomenally bad at defending the full at, at attacking a full court press. It's we're phenomenally yeah. bad at it. They're gonna West Virginia is gonna force a thousand turnovers. We're total shit at <laughs> court press. It's it's really ugly. And then Kansas State on the road. I guess it'll kind of depend on what both teams look like at the time. I mean, yeah. I mean, I would. I think that's probably an opportunity. I don't know if I'd say we're gonna do it, but I think yeah. well, Tom has us at forty one percent. So I guess they they don't think we're gonna. But um, <laughs> which you know, it's a road game. They haven't really played well on the road. Do they right. even have a road win? No, I would say it's zero six on the road. We've got a new. We've got a neutral. We've got a neutral win, but that's about it. Yeah. So we haven't we haven't won on the road. I'm not expecting us to change that. So I'll just say we'll lose that one. So I don't know. Maybe you finish five and what five and five, something like that. Five and six. Yeah. So yeah. So I guess you got Kansas State, Oklahoma, Texas, TCU, and Oklahoma State. I think are your five that you can be like. Oh, I feel pretty good about those. 
Yeah. Or decent anyways. Yeah. And then maybe at Kansas State. Mm-hmm. I guess. Yeah, we'll call it that. Yeah, I think uh, honestly, at least for me, I don't know, Drew, how you're feeling, but Bruce Weber's worst season was five and thirteen in Big Twelve. I'm just hoping he can t- get to six, top that. I'll I'll be satisfied at this yeah, point. Where can I find six? Well, we got two so far. <laughs> hey, what, you, know, you know who's really most? You know who's more upset than both of us that Kansas State and Iowa State aren't very good? Kansas City, <laughs> Power and Light District. <laughs> yeah, that's true. We're gonna, be, we're gonna be leaving early, and they're gonna be like, "Well, don't." <laughs> That's a good point. They're gonna, they're good... like, well, actually, it's funny because I did an article about the Big Twelve tournament last year, uh-huh. and I, you know, I interviewed like people from the Power and Light District and and the Big Twelve tournament or you know the Big Twelve conference and all that. And uh-huh. she didn't actually specifically mention names. Well, she, she kind of did. She mentioned Iowa State, Kansas State, and Kansas, which those are the obvious ones. Yeah. As far as like people that show up to Power and Light, and uh-huh. they, so they're the average economic impact of the tournament is usually like, I don't if I remember I'm correctly off the top of my head. I think it was like $10 million roughly is the economic impact of the area for the, of the tournament. Okay. Uh, but when like Iowa state goes out early or Kansas state goes out early or like Kansas never goes out early, but you know, especially if Iowa state or Kansas state go out early, well, well no, I guess Kansas went out early the last time Iowa state won it. Cause TCU beat him. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That was fun. And uh, all right. Well, it was two times ago, but you know, when the one of those teams goes early, they, there's a dip. There's a, there's a no <laughs> dip in tournament revenue, and now yeah. you have two of those three players are going to be dipping out early, probably. Yeah, they might they might go home first day. Who knows? Yeah. <laughs> we might be we, yeah, so we might be heading heading out on Wednesday. Who knows? Yeah. But, I mean, it's funny though because if Iowa State finishes with like five or six wins, I think I remember mm-hmm. seeing one like that would put us at like fourth in the conference. Like we wouldn't even be playing on Wednesday somehow. Be the whole banana shit ever. It'd be like it'd be garbage. Like it'd be you, yeah. I don't know. The Big Twelve has like two good teams, and then that's it. Like the rest of the conference isn't very good. Yeah, it seems that way. It's kind of weird because it kind of the Big Twelve has been always been. It's like for the last like decade, like the whole conference is good, except for like maybe one or two teams at the bottom. But otherwise, the whole conference is good. All you have like two teams that are good, and the rest of them are, ter- are terrible. Right. Kind of weird. right. So I guess kind of the last thing that I want to talk about here, because we're K-State game has started now, so we gotta kind of wrap this thing up. But you know, every once in a while, of course, we do hear complaints about Bruce, Fire Bruce, whatever, blah, blah blah. But I think in general, the most rational Kansas State fans uh, understand that you know he's done enough that he gets this year, and and he's got a good recruiting class, so not going to start worrying about that until next season. What's the patience level right now with Steve Prom? You know, he's I guess this is his fifth year, and it's, the trends hasn't haven't been great. You know, I did get to the tournament last year. Right now is what do you do with it? Because yeah. he's actually, I think he's still, I think he's he's got the highest winning percentage of any coach ever, including Fred. And he's got more. It was a more top ten wins or something like that. More top ten or more top five wins than Fred Hoiberg and Johnny Orr combined. So he's like his the actual like wins resume. Is like he's got a lot of really good wins, I guess. Basically, the problem is that home court has suffered the last, especially the last few years. Hilton Coliseum has just not been the fortress it once or once was or should be. Home has not been good. They've been they've lost the two worst losses, two of the five worst losses in program history have occurred in the last three years. The team regularly comes out looking like the first five minutes, first five to ten minutes of the game at least, they look like they've have no plan whatsoever people are underperforming 
Scheme doesn't look like it's fit to the personnel. All sorts of coaching stuff. Now, you could turn that around. Scheme is generating a shitload of open three-pointers that if you're playing collegiate basketball, you should knock them down. <laughs> um, and guys are knocking them down. So, you know, how much of that falls on, you know, do you say, coach, give it up? You know, basically never plan, plan on never shooting a three and then just see what happens. Or do you say, or do you keep running it and wait? And hopefully your guys that you recruited to fit that system and we're expecting to be able to shoot well enough to make that system work. Do you wait for them to, you know, progress to the mean? It's kind of a, an interesting, I don't know. It's a tightrope act. You got to figure out. But the problem is another thing is if you had two rebuilding years in the last three seasons, I mean, last year was pretty good, but it was fine. I guess I should say that that last year's team had a lot of problems, but two years ago, two years ago, it was totally understandable. It was depleted roster because of all the, a lot of Fred's guys were gone and Fred led did an atrocious, atrocious job of balancing his scholarship distribution where like literally coach K could have come in and we would have expected a down year that season. (laughs) Um, But now you're five years in and there's, there's still, there's still a, a good argument to be made that we're still feeling the ripple effects of Fred just totally mismanaging the scholarship distribution towards the end where he was just trying to win now and then bailed and with a bunch of, with a ton of transfers and, you know, three-year guys left on the roster and and basically no freshman recruiting class, which, you know, the, the few freshmen that Fred did get in his last class wherever, like they didn't really pan out to anything. So it's Steve Prome, but everything I've ever heard is that he is just like, he is like the nicest dude you'll, you'll ever meet. Scott Drew, totally unprompted after the, after the last time we played Baylor at home, out of nowhere, like nobody asked him a question about it or anything. He like at the end of his press conference said, hey, by the way, you know, some guys, you know, this. He basically defended Steve Froman and says you can that sometimes you just draw up a perfect play and guys just don't execute it or whatever. Huh. And you know, he like totally unprompted Scott Drew. Scott Drew came out and defended Steve Prome. So you can tell that not only is he, you know, he's a he's a great, well, he's a he's a likable guy or whatever, but Scott Drew, who is kind of funny, we used to make fun of him because his teams were bad and he was kind of a goofy coach or whatever. But now we realize Scott Drew's actually a really good coach and a really good recruiter. But you know, so you have you have a lot of really good coaches in the league that really respect Steve Froman and what he and what he's about, what kind of program he runs, because he runs a pretty tight ship. We're not. I would never expect anything like what Kansas is, is doing. Like I would. That's not how Steve runs his program. He's generally been a pretty good recruiter, talented guys in those last couple classes. Or the last two two classes ago was tricky, but he's got a good class coming in. If I remember correctly, I saw it was I me. Mean, it's like top thirty or top twenty, maybe. It's it's a really good class, and lots of guys that fit his scheme well. I think I, th- I think he'll be back next year because um, I think you give him another season to see what happens. He's got a good, like I said, he's got good players coming in, mm-hmm. and this is kind of part of where it comes into with Tyrese leaving because if Tyrese comes back and the team's good, then I think we're fine, I mean, I, and I think that pressure eases up quite a bit. But Tyrese doesn't come come back. There's a, a decent chance that the team is looks a lot next year looks a lot like the one this year because you have lots and lots of. This time, but you'd have lots of good scorers and guys that can shoot and stuff like that. But you'd have not, you wouldn't have one guy that, that you would can say, okay, he can create shots for everybody else like Tyrese can. So if Tyrese, in, in, a, in a way, there's a there's a chance that Tyrese, whether Steve Frome gets fired after next season, almost could entirely hinge on whether Tyrese leaves. Now, why I don't think it's necessarily a guarantee that Tyrese leaves. Partially because of that, because him and Steve are obviously, obviously very, very close. You know, you took a chance on Tyrese when, you know, basically no other power, when very, very few 
other power six did because he, t- he took me he basically went to or he went to northern wisconsin found this scrawny kid made out of toothpicks with a goofy ass jumper and was like you know what i bet this guy's gonna be good at basketball and uh turns out he is so you have that and Teresa, you know he comes from like a nice family nice area or whatever he doesn't come from a rough background so you know where you have guys like Taylor horton tucker or like when derrick rose was in there or you know but you know some of those guys were Tyrese may not be, he may not have the same emphasis on getting a paycheck now or a great example. Perfect example is Dave Montgomery. Dave Montgomery came out of a really, really, really difficult situation back in Cincinnati. And, you know, where his family was clawing and scratching for every dollar that they could to just keep the, you know, to, to turn the oven on to heat up the apartment. So when he had the opportunity to leave to go to the NFL, be a third round pick, get some, make some good money, made sense, go now. Because one, one running backs have a really short shelf life, so you just should go when you're a running back, when you got a good chance. But also, he wanted to be able to make a paycheck so he could send some money back home and help his family out, help his brother out. So it mean, you know, from a money perspective, obviously, well, however much he's going to make, $5 million, $10 million a year, that's a lot for anybody to turn, or turn down. But basically what I'm saying is money may not be like an immediate thing, like, oh my God, I need to get the paycheck so my mom doesn't. Or so my parents don't lose their house or or lose their apartment or whatever. So Mm -hmm. the money may not be quite as high on the list as it is for some other people. Another thing is that Tyrese, I mean, Tyrese is a really good kid. I think he, and I think he wants to stay and help Steve. And I don't think he was a kid that ever, ever imagined being like a one and one or two and gone kid. Like, I don't, I don't know. Maybe, maybe he did because Tyrese has kind of that swagger as a player, but I, I mean, if we're, I don't know if he ever had a realistic expectation, like what's what's realistically my college career going to look like. I don't think he ever had an envision that he was going to be a top five pick in two years. So maybe he can say like he can he can say he's like, well, I wasn't expecting to be here anyways, so I might as well you know do something else with college. Plus, and well, and another another thing that has, he has going for him too is that his game has a really high floor. He's not like a sharpshooter where if he falls off one year and shoots thirty percent or thirty five percent, where he's like it's going to downgrade him quite a bit. Like his whole, the reason he's so highly rated in the mock drafts is because he's what, you know, some, I think I saw a quote from a scout. They basically call him like a, a super role player, whereas he's a guy that you can plug into any team and he doesn't need the ball in his hand or he doesn't need to be the scorer to be one of the best players on the floor. He is so remarkably good at making everybody else around him better that in every NBA team is looking, is looking for a guy like that because the, the alpha scorers are a dime a dozen in the NBA. Every team is just littered with guys that you know their whole thing is that they can go get a bucket. Mm-hmm. That's the whole thing. And not a lot of teams have really, really great distributors. You know, like Ben Simmons is a really, really good distributor. When, you, when he wants to be, Giannis is a really good distributor. You know, but you know, you don't have a lot of guys, especially at six five. Um, you don't have a lot of guys that are just truly, really great distributors that do not care about scoring. Tyrese, legitimately, I'm not like outside of catch and shoot opportunities. What he was doing last year was perfect for him. He can create, you know, he set the, he set the school record for single game assists, his third game on campus. He had 17 assists in his third career college game. You know, <laughs> his nose for finding passes and finding open players is out of this world. I, and I would argue that he's a, he's a better, as far as that kind of stuff goes, I would, he's probably better than Monte Morris was, especially at this point in his career. That's not something that is going to fade, you know, going in, you know, if he stays for an extra season. So his floor is still pretty high. Even if yeah. he kind of half progresses a little bit going into next season, you know, maybe you fall to the eighth pick or the tenth pick. But <laughs> yeah. he's, you know, there's really not a lot of room for him to go up, but there's not really a huge chance of him going down. So yeah. he sees that and says, you know what, next year's going to be a good team. 
the NBA will be there after next season. You know, then maybe he comes back. He saves Steve Frome's job. Who knows? <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's a wildly we'll complicated situation. Yeah. Yeah. Seems but, like it. Seems like it. It's still a lot like the Purdue fans I was listening to last year talking about Carson Edwards, though. Right. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the difference though is that carson edwards was a scorer i mean he's like he's a scorer so that like a scorer and a shooter when you are at your peak that's when you should go because next year maybe you just aren't shooting it as well maybe your team chemistry changes and you don't you're not taking as many shots and then your usage goes down and then nba team's like well maybe maybe he has to be have the ball in his hands all the time and whatever and so his draft grade could go down especially while in carson edwards is what fire is he is he six foot yeah, he's about six foot. Five eleven, I think. Five eleven and a half in socks, I think, at the combine. Maurice is six five with long ass arms. Right, and right. A body, right. A body that's ready to absorb a lot of extra muscle. So I'm not saying they're similar players, just saying that man, right. you don't see many guys say, Oh, top ten money. Even if you don't need money, top ten money's sure. Really yeah, right. Great. That's why I, I think if I was like a bet man, I'd still say it's probably sixty five, seventy percent he's yeah, yeah. I think there's a better chance that he comes back with than maybe the than maybe you would ordinarily consider for a top ten pick. Okay, that's fair. Maybe, maybe every fan says that. I don't know. <laughs> well, sounds good. I think we probably ought to end it there, Levi. I appreciate you coming on. Um, people can check out your stuff. Uh, Whiteridentitylight.com. Yep. Always that the funniest site in the Big Twelve, I think. And then you, you're kind of the one who does the Twitter for the site. Right. Yeah, I, yeah. The other uh, on the main account, the actual yeah. wide right account, that's it's probably ninety five, ninety nine percent me. Okay. Yeah, and so that's at wide rt and then natty lt, right? Yep. Yep. Yeah. Okay. Well, thanks a lot for coming on. We appreciate it, Drew. Thanks for joining us. No problem, man. Just a uh, word of warning: don't turn on the basketball game. Oh, I, I've got it up on my phone. Yeah, it's ugly. It's ugly already. <laughs> look, don't even do it, man. Yeah. Just don't look. If you want to look away. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, the problem is I volunteered the right to re- right to recap on this one. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm glad that. I found that Kansas State fans kind of enjoy the suffering. <laughs> yeah a little bit that's kind of one thing that like with with football with i would say football kind of becoming better slash good in the last few years or whatever we're we're much we're much more equipped it's funny because we used to be so equipped to handle disappointment and losing i guess it was mainly for football basketball we've had our stretch you know we've had stretches of being really good had stretches of being bad just kind of goes back and forth we're almost never like a middle of the road team but now football is good or whatever, and we're like, oh man, we're winning. And like last year, football and basketball were good, and uh, now basketball is bad, and we are profoundly worse at handling losing teams in basketball than we are in football. It's real bad. <laughs> Every single game that we lose, especially at the early season. Now I think there's more apathy now, especially like in December, like after we lost Florida A and M. Man, Cyclone Twitter is just. It, it just implodes after every single loss. Now it's it's amazing for a school that has endured so much losing for so long that I guess, well, I guess I go back to, it's more football than anything. If we went back to yeah. sucking at football, like if, like if Matt Campbell left and we went back to sucking at football, like, well, that was great. Yeah. That was, that was fun while it lasted, but you know, 
here we are. Whereas basketball, we have like a, we actually have expectations in basketball. Mm-hmm. And seeing a team that like looks like it should have the talent to compete, but is just not doing it, that, um, it's frustrating. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, maybe things will get better. Probably not this season. But, uh... Yeah. <laughs> As I tweeted out after uh, Texas making a huge comeback against us last Saturday, sports are just a never ending cycle of sadness and waiting for sadness. Yeah. So... <laughs> well, at least we've got the Chiefs, though. At least we've got the Chiefs. Yeah. I mean, it's fun to watch. I mean, I'm not like a Chiefs fan per se. Right. I mean, yeah. If if I was going to pick a team, like I'm going to be a fan of some team, I'd probably pick the Chiefs just because they're they're fun to watch. Plus, they're kind of like a Big Twelve team full of a bunch of Big Twelve players. So, you know that part. They're like they're they're like the bastion for oh the Big Twelve actually does have good football teams. You're just dumb, and <laughs> so for that reason, I uh, probably would go with the Chiefs if I was going to pick a team, but. Oh. All I have to say is that Chiefs Twitter has been slandering my boy Sammy Watkins all season. <laughs> Just hey. abusing the Lizard King on Twitter. And now <laughs> the slander has stopped. Yeah, he showed up last night. That was yeah, good. he showed up all playoffs. I think he's lived yeah. in receiving yards the last two years in the playoffs. Yeah. You know. So he takes a few regular season games off. Who among us hasn't done that? <laughs> yeah. You know, sometimes you're not at your best on like a Tuesday, but you know, come time to seal the deals. Boy, Sammy uh, took care of business, as did Brashad Breland. So y'all be thanking yeah. Clemson for. Uh, yeah. She's. Do you, uh, you think Damien Williams should have been Super Bowl MVP? I, I do. Yeah. I think I think he should have been. He's the first ever player to have 100 rushing yards and a receiving and a pa- and like rushing touchdown yeah yeah which is kind of bonkers that seems like it's not like a that's not like a really like incredible stat line or anything like that like like a rushing and receiving touchdown with 100 yards rushing happens all the time and Mm -hmm. but somehow nobody had ever done that in the super bowl but damon williams did it yeah big run at the end like i don't know i kind of feel like damon williams should have gotten it i mean all respect to Mahomes, but like i mean he's the best football player on planet earth right now but (laughs) yeah uh, but i mean I guess the one thing I would say about that is that last run by Williams, you kind of discount that as the other team. I'm sure I can pick up <laughs> cards on that run. Yeah, <laughs> like, uh, the 49ers were in that. I'm, we're going to stop him at the line of scrimmage or he's going to score a touchdown defense. Right. Once he popped it, it was all over. <laughs> yep, pretty much. So. Mm-hmm. All right. Sounds good. I'll leave it there. I'm going to watch this miserable Kansas State game. So. Um, you know, hopefully it'll be a, a decent cool. game Saturday. We'll I'm gonna play the college football mod for Madden 20 and play Iowa State against somebody. <laughs> Make myself go back. <laughs> All right, sounds good. Thanks, guys. No problem. So, Later, man. Yeah. You're having it.